0: Hi Awesomes! Welcome to another episode in our Extra Awesome series. From time to time we take a break from our regular schedule to talk about awesome things going on in our world. And today I'm so thrilled to be joined by my very dear friend and lovely co-host Kelly Gordon. And we are here to discuss Madeline L'Engle's A Wrinkle in Time, the book, and also the brand new movie directed by Ava DuVernay which Kelly has seen. She just saw it. I have not seen it, but we're going to dig into the movie talk here in just a little bit. But hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm so good. Well, I should note that Kelly and I both, our children are on spring break. So (laughs) we have kids running around everywhere. But in the past few days, I had mentioned in a few places that I just finished reading Wrinkle in Time for the first time, and I have all the thoughts and feelings. Kelly, you were like, you know what? I have all the thoughts and feelings, too. I and do. It, we were like, let's hop on the mic and talk through our thoughts and feelings. Yeah, because that's what we do. That's, that's why we, we have a
1: podcast, so that we can process our thoughts and feelings with you, you awesomes. And that's can right. we just take a moment here and say, make teats. An accomplished reader, a high school (laughs) literature teacher, just read A Wrinkle in Time for the first time. When she said, I've never read it, Uh within the last six months or something, I think I took a step back. I was a little (laughs) agog.
0: As well you should be. I don't know, you guys. I don't know how I missed this. A Wrinkle in Time was released in 1962? 62, yep. Okay, it won many awards when it was released. It is a classic, a modern classic of our time. How I missed this, I do not know. Now, I have always maintained and will be very honest about the fact that I'm the most underread English teacher oh, yeah. who ever was in the classroom. But how did I miss this in my childhood? I don't know. But I do. I'll talk more about this a little bit later okay, about why okay. it's actually totally okay that I just read this for the first time. So anyway, everybody in our culture right now is talking about A Wrinkle in Time. Of course, because of this new theatrical release, the film um, directed by Ava DuVernay DeV- uh, stars some names you might be familiar with. You've you got your Mindy Kaling. You've got your Reese Witherspoon and Oprah. Oh, wait, isn't there an Oprah? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Oprah was in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Yep. It's made quite a splash. Right. And Chris Pine. I mean, like there's other
1: people, even the child actors are really phenomenal and and played so well. So, I mean, this movie, when I first saw the previews, I feel like it was last summer. And I just reread the whole five book series of A Wrinkle in Time, because I bought the box set for my daughter, <laughs> which is my brilliant mom move there, yes. um, the Christmas of 2016. And she was just reading Harry Potter. So she was like, thanks, mom, but I don't have time to read this right now. And I was right, like, right. oh, I guess I'll read it then. So Gosh, I guess I'll just have to. <laughs> I, I'll put it in my room for right now. So I had... You know, just recently reread them and I actually realized at that point that I had never read all five books. I kind of thought I had. So. Yes. When I saw that preview with all of these people and the costumes and everything, I was like, I almost floated out of my chair. I do believe that I actually clapped at the end of the preview, much to my children's horror. They're like, Mom, it's a preview. And I'm like, but I'm really excited about that movie. So, yes, I think I, like a lot of Americans, the buzz has been building, right? And so Definitely. the nice thing was, is if you haven't read the book, you had time if you wanted
0: to or to reread yeah. it. That's so true. I th- can't remember when I did see the preview, but immediately I was like, you know, maybe it's time for me to actually read A Wrinkle in Time. And it's so interesting because I, this is my first Madeline Langle fiction, mm-hmm. Kelly. I've read um, her nonfiction in several formats. Most importantly, and most especially, her beautiful manifesto for artists who are Christians. It's called Walking on Water in the span of my life, books that literally and actually changed my life. It is at the top of the list. It's so important to me. I value her words. I value what she had to share and her inspiration in Walking on Water. But I just had never picked up any of her fiction, which is crazy. But here we are. So with the movie coming out, and my girls went to see the movie so badly. So I was like, well, let's just do a good old fashioned read aloud. I mean, my daughters are 13 and 10 but they still love to be read to. Especially my 10 year old who does almost all of her reading via audiobook, which drives my husband bananas. But that's really I mean, she's just a very auditory person right. and takes in all almost all of her reading that way. And so I I did, had no idea how long it was or anything. I was just like, I'll just do it. We'll just we'll just start reading it. So I'd been reading it to her at bedtime, but then Kelly, she got so into it, she was like, Mom, I want you to get me up at five forty five in the morning so we I can have some extra reading time before school. So I love that. We blazed through it. There were a few points when I would just have to stop and cry because I was like, this is so beautiful. So that's kind of my history with the novel. Did you when you were a kid, Kelly, did you read A Wrinkle in Time like like most normal children?
1: <laughs> like most normal ages? children. I did read it. I remember it very vaguely. What stuck out to me was um kind of the science fiction-y aspects of it. Right. Um, so in that sense, like what I remembered of it was this otherworldly feeling that these normal sort of kids that seemed familiar to me got dropped into a very unfamiliar world and things went very downhill. So I yes. had this kind of horror at it. You know, as, right. I, as we know, well know, Awesomes, you know, I, I can't do horror or anything like that. So this would have mm. been kind of as a, you know, young child as a grade schooler. When I read this, I was a little horrified at the ideas that she was putting forth. I think what I did not pick up on, either because of my age or because of my upbringing, were so many of the beautiful ideas uh, that she wove into the book. So it wasn't really until I reread it as an adult. And I don't think I read it more than a couple of times as a kid. You know, it wasn't one of those books that I returned to again and again and again, Uh unlike so many people. Uh, It wasn't until I read it as an adult that I really could take in the beauty and the brilliance of her work.
0: Yes. Well, if you are like me, and uh, just never picked it up when you were a kid, we'll do a brief kind of plot overview. A Wrinkle in Time follows the story of Meg Murray. She's our protagonist. I, of course, have a special affection and fondness for Meg. <laughs> now, remember, this was published in 1962. And Kelly, I was thinking about this from a, like, a teaching perspective, that... We can look at this in 2018 and be like, oh, Meg, she's sort of like represents all the tropes of the troubled 13 year old who is so smart, but doesn't do well at school, kind of, you know, rebels against authority, um, feels like she's a misfit. But in the 50s and early 60s, you don't, in young adult literature and children's Mm -hmm. literature, you don't have, this was really quite pioneering. You have more like Nancy Drew style books, which, you you know, where you have a protagonist who kind of has it all together. But this is the first time we really, probably not the first time, but it's one of the early books where we have a young adult protagonist who, you know, from the get go is constantly She's very self conscious and very yes. aware of how she doesn't quite fit into her world that's around her. So to her parents are both scientists. Mm-hmm. Parents are brilliant scientists. Um, she had, then she has a uh, 10 year old twin brother, Sandy and Dennis, and a five year old brother, Charles Wallace, who is something of a prodigy, a total genius. Yes. Who also, and I've only read the first book in the series, but he seems to be like, sort of almost telepathic, like he yeah, can pick right. up on what people are thinking and really tune in. Right.
1: Which is really, you, you first start to see that in A Wrinkle in Time, that he is the one, in some ways, his parents are so brilliant in their own right, which even that I feel like is kind of pioneering, that here were two scientists that were discovering things that in the 1950s were on the cutting edge. So she was willing to go there with the science. And it wasn't just the husband, it was the wife. Yes. Also- Doing her own research, doing her own work. And so then their youngest son is this very brilliant, very perceptive child who feels different. Um, you know, if Meg feels different, yes. she doesn't fit with normal. Charles Wallace knows he's different and kind of doesn't care because he's right. so wise in his yeah. young years.
0: Yeah, he almost seems like otherworldly in his, yeah. you know, how how we experience him. At least, again, in this first book, it might change throughout the series. No, that's, I don't. that's
1: that's pretty much how Charles Wallace continues on. So if okay. you like his character, you can feel safe reading the quintuplets, the books.
0: Good. I can't wait to read the rest of them. And so we we find out from the get go that Meg's father, who again, renowned scientist is missing. They don't know where he is communication with him has stopped. Um, they are introduced to a sort of eccentric neighbor, they think her name's Mrs. What's it? We find out over the course of the opening chapters that Mrs. What's it is one of a trio of Mrs. There's Mrs. What's it, Mrs. Who and Mrs. Which. And they turn out to be these kind of supernatural beings who through the magic of fiction, <laughs> mm-hmm. transport Meg, And Charles Wallace, and then a friend, well, not even really a friend, a kid that Meg knows from school named Calvin O'Keefe, who's like this popular athlete guy. But as it turns out, as we get to know Calvin over the course of the book, he also feels like a misfit. He also feels like he doesn't quite fit. Well, the, the trio of them are kind of catapulted into space on this quest to find Meg's father. And... The plot kind of unfolds from there. There's lots of travel through space. They kind of explain the whole concept of a wrinkle in time. Like if we could just kind of put some wrinkles into the time-space continuum, we could more easily, as human beings, we could just travel through space like in a in a snap. Right, which so- is really
1: Einstein's theories. So she's taking theories that when she wrote the book, were being talked about on the edges of science as, is this possible? So she's really taking what for her at the time was very you know, um, cutting edge, very theoretical math and science. And she's putting it into this children's fiction book as this, this is a concept that I'm going to bring to life, but it's not that far from what we think is actually possible.
0: Yes, exactly. It's really quite brilliant. Mm -hmm. It really is. And so I don't want to waste too much time on plot, but there is, they do, they travel through space. They, they, interact with and discover that there is a thing that they call the black thing mm. which is sort of the manifestation of evil right and the misses give the yes. kids kind of a history on how the black thing has overshadowed and kind of overtaken some planets throughout all of the galaxies and and that he the the the, the black thing is um you know partially responsible for the kids a father disappearing, and so there's lots of journeys, lots of travels. There's um, lots of drama and tension. In the end, they are able to find Meg's father, and um, and again, if you haven't read it, I certainly don't want to spoil how this all <laughs> goes. But um, it's really it's a it's such an exciting read. Again, my ten year old just couldn't wait to get to the next chapter, and every time I'd have to leave off, she was like, "Oh, like physical pain yeah. that we had to leave off there." So. I love that. When it comes to talking about like what are the themes, because this is what I this was what I just cannot seem to let go of, is some of the themes that stand out. Madeline Langle is was a, um, a a deeply committed Christian, and so the themes that rose to the surface for me are all very much um, manifestations of Christian the Christian spiritual view. On the cosmos, kind of.
1: <laughs> no, that's very true. I mean, it sounds a little like, are we being hokey here? But it's not. I think, and for her, it felt so natural yes. to write about these grand, big things from a Christian point of view um, and not worrying about some of the things that possibly in some of our upbringing, the style of, or version of Christianity that we grew up in, um, they would never have been able to take on face value things that she could take on face value because for all, well, for lots of different reasons.
0: Well, I've heard, and I've read reviews, especially there's one at America Magazine um, that all, it was really fantastic. And I'll drop a link to that in the show notes for this episode. But I've read in a few places that for the film adaptation, they really, um, that that is not that much of a focus. And I and I mm-hmm. understand that because I feel like there's parts of it that you just kind of have to really read and experience to yeah. to see those more Christian oriented themes rise to the surface. But there's a few that I did want to talk about um this there's a concept so there's the black thing which again is the power of darkness and it's, oppression and evil mm-hmm. that distorts and distracts the thing the way um, from the way things are supposed to be and the way they're meant to be right exactly and Various people and various entities have throughout the course of all, <laughs> throughout all creation, which Madeline Langle just really goes there with, you know, the with some of the characters being billions of years old, and then she's the young one at billions of years old. <laughs> right, right. So just really digging into and embracing um, some of the scientific views on all of that. Well, m- we find out Mrs. What's It used to be a star. Yes. And that throughout history of uh, of the cosmos that various people and entities have kind of been giving their lives to push back the darkness, and that Mrs. What's it was one of those that she had been a star, and that in an effort to use her energy to push back the darkness, that she was sacrificed her sort of physicality as a star, that she was willing to sacrifice everything to push back the darkness. And there's this one very tender, sweet passage where Mrs. What's it who's very fun and, um, uh, very whimsical character, but there's a really emotional part where she is remembering her time being a star. And, and she kind of talks about how she loved being a star, but that she was so, she realized that, you know, the nest, nece- the necessity, Of keeping the black thing away, of pushing back the darkness, that she was willing to sacrifice all of that. And it was such a beautiful reflection Mm -hmm. on what it costs us Mm -hmm. to push back the darkness. The sacrifice that's involved, it's one thing to kind of give lip service to it, but... In Mrs. What's It, we have this picture of, no, she gave everything Mm -hmm. to push back the darkness, even though she loved being a star. I don't know. I just, that was one of the moments where I had to stop and cry a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. No, it's very touching. And I think that what they're doing, and this is true in both the movie and the book. So I saw the movie just recently, just last night from when we're recording. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. And we'll be sure to give you a warning in case you haven't seen it yet, just in case you don't want any spoilers. But I think in both the book and the movie, they're trying to very much honor that that sentiment that it is a struggle against darkness and the light is always fighting back and they are looking for warriors to warriors of light warriors of love and hope to push back against it so it costs mrs what's it in the book everything and yet they're asking meg to kind of enter into this and really charles wallace and calvin as well because they're saying we can't Do everything for you as you move forward to rescue your father, we can give you gifts. You you will have our you know wisdom as much as we can, but we cannot do it for you. You have to go forward and and risk, uh, and and to to walk into that is risk. Yes and and even as children, they're not saying, Oh no, children, you are children, you sit back here. You know, they they fully say they don't go for Meg's mother to come you know, it is May, and Charles Wallace probably first. And then he, he mm-hmm. says, no, Meg should come too, but yeah. it, that's who they go to is yes. the children. And I think that there's even something kind of profound about that,
0: that yes. maybe there's some
1: light, some purity there. And that we, we, we need to all be willing to risk in that fight against darkness.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm getting chills just sitting here talking about it. I love it. Um, another passage that just stopped me in my absolute tracks. I mean, I think I actually had to be almost done reading for the night when we read this. There's a moment where again, like I said, they're traveling through space and time kind of mostly through space. And they go visit this character called the happy medium. (laughs) And the happy medium is another supernatural celestial being and the, the happy medium has a crystal ball and she can gaze into what's happening in real time on any planet throughout any universe. So they're, they're, you know, kind of experiencing the wonder of all of this. And then um, the, the children want to see what's happening in real time right then on Earth, our planet. And I'll just read you just a couple of lines from the book. The medium lost the delighted smile she had worn till then. Oh, why must you make me look at unpleasant things when there are so many delightful ones to see? Again, Mrs. Witch's voice reverberated through the cave. There will no longer be so many pleasant things to look at if responsible people do not do something about the unpleasant ones. And I just like had to stop and go. Oh my gosh, that's the mission statement of the year of the awesome, Mm -hmm. is that we are the ones who realize, of course, there's wonderful, awesome things to talk about and explore and discover and look for and try to uncover. But we are the ones, because we realize that, we have Mm -hmm. the responsibility to try to do something about the unpleasant things that are in the world around us, whether it's in our own communities or the greater world at large. I just read that, and I was like, "I, Madeline Legle, I get you, I feel this." And again, you know, to put it in historical context, she's writing this at the, you know, sort of a boiling point of the civil rights movement in our country. Not to mention all kinds of other equality issues and justice issues that were what a turbulent time to be writing in the fifties and the sixties. And and here she comes through with this message that. There will no longer be the pleasant things that we love if we can't take responsibility to do something about the unpleasant things that trouble us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, there's another passage too that really stood out to me, and that is, um, how can I set up the context for this if you haven't read the book? So, in they are on a planet, and in trying to um, in trying to do battle against the presence, the darkness. Which is it? Do they call it it or it? Well, it. Yeah, it's it, it in, okay. the, in the movie, and that's how I've
1: always read it too. But okay, uh-huh. so like sure. the way I gather is that the darkness empowers yes. it on Hamat's okay.
0: that yes. specific planet. So yes, okay. Well, so the powers of darkness, through the manifestation of it on this planet, um, captivate and kind of capture Charles Wallace, much to Meg's sheer horror and heartbreak. And they do rescue uh, Meg's father from that planet. But then she's just devastated to realize that her father can't rescue Ch- Charles Wallace and just like all of these things. Well, they end up being kind of whooshed away from that planet. So in the process of them having to leave the planet so quickly, they they actually travel through the black thing, which causes a great deal of damage, but especially to Meg. Right. She is near death by the time they land on another planet that is safe. Um, and they have to, like, there's these creatures that are good and nurturing and loving. And they come around the kids and they uh, and they come around Meg and Calvin and, and Mr. Murray and, and really kind of nurse Meg back to health. And... Meg in coming back to health and coming back to herself is grouchy and also completely distraught and right. horrified that they that Charles Wallace is still on this planet under the control of um of it, under the control of darkness, and she's being grouchy to people. And there's this character named Aunt Beast mm-hmm. <laughs> who primarily nurtures and loves her back to health. And and they're they're kind of grumbling at Meg because she's being so grouchy. And Aunt Beast stands up for Meg, she sticks up for Meg and says, Aunt Beast spoke to the others. The child is distraught. Don't judge her harshly. She was almost taken by the black thing. Sometimes we can't know what spiritual damage it leaves, even when physical recovery is complete. Yes. I remember that too. And having to kind of,
1: even now I have chills yes. when you read that. Cause I was, I was like, yes, I really, Aunt Beast is one of my favorite characters in the yes. whole book. Yes, um, And I remember, especially after reading the book as a child and being on this planet where everything is so controlled and pristine, but in an evil sort of way, to go to a creature who is so caring and nurturing and a little puzzled by by Meg and her anger. She doesn't understand it and they they can't communicate the same. You know, there's that really famous sort of passage in the book, if you've read it, Aunt Beast, they don't see. So Meg is trying to describe her planet. I think actually Aunt Beast asks, says tell me about your home just as a way to distract her. And she's trying to describe things that she sees and, and to a creature who has never seen anything, you know, even the struggle in that and trying to, to, to get beyond words, but she's so tender mm-hmm. with Meg. And I think yes. that that passage that you read there is why I love her is because she sees to the heart yes. and she sees with grace. Yes. Um, and, and which of us has not also been almost taken by the dark thing. Mm. And has had more damage done to us than we maybe want to believe ourselves. Yes. And people might want to give grace to us to to heal from. So what a tremendous gift that Aunt Beast did there to say, hey,
0: remember, it is no small thing. (laughs) Yeah. It is no small thing. Exactly. Exactly. I think this would be one of those lines probably – My children didn't even think twice about it. Right, right. But when you've lived some life, you know that you can physically recover from something, some kind of trauma that happened to you, or maybe it was something that you chose. But yeah, that line of she was almost taken by the dark thing, by the black thing. That you can know that you can physically recover, and on the outside, you can feel, you can look okay, you can look like yourself, mm-hmm. but that spiritual damage is still there. And the just tremendous devotion and tenderness, like you said, that's the perfect word. The tenderness that she shows in really loving her back to health, right. ultimately. Right, exactly. And giving her an
1: opportunity, maybe even in hearing those words, and saying, Oh, maybe I am damaged. And I think that Meg does start at that point in the book to realize that maybe she's doing a disservice to her father, um, to herself, uh, and, and that she has to grow up a little bit um, yes. to to begin to heal in that. And so, you know, her father is an adult, so he can handle her tantrums to a degree, but still she, she's old enough to recognize that she's, she's hurting him yes. with her words that are unfair um, and not truly what he's wanting in his heart so she has to to just because she was extended grace she grew Mm -hmm. and i think that sometimes when we're not extended grace we're not doing anybody any favors they're not actually going to be able to heal and we may say oh well somebody had to speak truth to that person are we helping them Right. And I think that's what Ant Beast, I'm, I'm getting very like metaphysical sort of, you know, no, but I like know. that's that's, that's what I, I
0: saw as a parent, yeah. especially in Ant Beast. Yes, Yes, exactly. And I think you make such a great point that there's this huge communication barrier They're They're literally different species, but they don't even, there's like so much they don't understand about each other. And I think that's such a great point beautiful way for Madeline Langle to to point out that even if it's somebody who's so different from you that you cannot get, you can't, you literally can't understand them, that doesn't give you the freedom to not care for them and and um you know show love basically. Right. right. And so in the end, um in order to bring Charles Wallace back to get him to come back to who he was because Meg says this from the time the the it or the black thing kind of captivated Charles Wallace and and, and took over his mind and and his devotion and Charles Wallace wanted to stay there with the black thing Mm -hmm. but Meg was like this isn't Right, that's not him. She keeps saying that over and over. That's not Charles Wallace. That's not my brother. So in the end, it it falls on Meg's shoulders and Meg's alone to go back to that planet and to um, retrieve Charles Wallace, to, to get him out from under the spell of the uh, Black thing, from under the spell of it. And so she tries all of these different approaches, but in the end, it occurs to her The only thing that she's going to be able to do is to love him back into him being himself. And that idea that love, like unconditional love, love that is not afraid to go into the scariest of places, Mm -hmm. that kind of love is the only thing that helps us to return to who we are. To come back to ourselves. So when we finished the book, I just was like, I just can't stop crying. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful picture of, of the Christian faith, which means a lot to me. But just humanity in general, this idea that love, like crazy, ferocious, brave, courageous love is the thing that we need to remind them of who they are, that love reminds us of who we are and who we're meant to be.
1: Right. And that it's actually the ultimate weapon that when she realizes that that's the one thing that she has that it doesn't have is love, love for her brother. It is using her brother and she loves him. And even more, I think in the movie, this is one thing that the movie I think does almost better than the book is that when Meg is in that situation with Charles Wallace, he's actually hurting her oh but like okay. it is kind of hurting her but because right. he's a part of it and yes. she is saying i love you i don't care what you do to me i love you charles wallace oh i'm gonna cry um you know it's so powerful to see her say you could kill me you could you could do whatever you want i will not stop loving you
0: oh my gosh <laughs> okay. I'm Sorry, crying just, if
1: you're like at the gym you're like stop it stop, stop your voices doing that noise. Okay, we're going to take, take a moment. But it's, uh, it really yeah. is, it's it's even more powerful, I think, um, because obviously you're watching images. So they had to take away, to think of this book, which in many ways is very cerebral.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, totally. And yet
1: with special effects day, we can do so much. So they had to really envision this. And I think that that is one area where they took what Madeline Langle put out there and really almost amplified it. Yeah. with the visual images and really made that so dramatic and showed the power of love yes. to fight back against the darkness and said and to say that this is what we have. Yeah. This is really all we have. Yeah. But it is no small thing. It is very powerful and it can free people.
0: Well, now I'm so excited to see the film. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I know, of course, anytime anybody takes up has the courage to adapt a book, especially a beloved book, into film. I mean, there's going to be it's it's a, it's a tricky proposition. If yeah. you if you try to do directly text to film, well, first of all, most every book you have to cut some material at right. least, or you're going to have like six hour miniseries for one book. Right. So there's that problem. But then the, on the other side of the problem is if you do try to like do like almost a word for word adaptation, you just kind of lose something. And, the, and no matter what you do, people are people are going to be unhappy. Honestly. Oh, sure. I've yeah. seen all of the adaptations of Great Gatsby. I think they're all fantastic in their own way. But every Gatsby fan will say, well, I hated this about that film and that. I mean, it's just that's just you just have to appreciate each piece of art for what it is. So yes. tell me all your thoughts on this current adaptation of the of the book. Well, that was the perfect setup because that really
1: is the mindset that you would need to go into this movie. If you loved the book, especially if you read it over and over and over and over in your childhood, I think as long as you can put aside some of your expectations, you know, that it's not going to be a little interpretation of this book. It is Taking what was there with Madeline and taking the spirit of the book and putting it on screen. I think that you will really love the movie. I think you'll enjoy it. Of course. I mean, it goes without saying. I think I heard yesterday they spent $100 million on this movie. Wow. It is a Disney movie. So they have the resources, capital T, capital R, to make this (laughs) a gorgeous, amazing, jaw-dropping piece of cinematography. The special effects, the costumes. I mean, everything is just... Perfect in that sense. You know, it's really well done. But it is not like the book. Um, They take the spirit of things and put it into a visual form. So even as I said there about the end, in the book, Meg walks into a building that is pulsing with light to rescue her little brother, Charles Wallace, from it, which is actually a brain. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is not how it is in the movie. Okay. You know, she is walking to him. He is in a room that maybe would be like the interior of a brain. They might have taken that idea. Okay. It's all very webby and there's things ah, flashing around yes. and it's dark. And, you know, so that that sort of thing. So it's it's that idea where they said, well, she said this, we're going to do it this way. Um, gotcha. We're going to take the basic ideas. So the whole, the really the whole story is that way. Um, they don't have two middle brothers for a reason that I can't quite understand. Even still, Charles Wallace is adopted. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so they, but they do they do so much. They I feel like they honor the spirit
0: mm-hmm. of what yes. Madeline Lengel
1: put out there, and really, as we've just said, so much of what she wanted people to grasp is how much more is possible than what we just see, uh, how much more there is to life than what we get it, give it credit for, how necessary it is to risk to be a warrior of light to push back the darkness that this is what we need. Um, and that love conquers all. So, mm. if you take those as your themes, they did that in this Beautiful. movie. So, yeah. even even things like in the book, is it? I, I get so I remember Mrs. What's it, and then it's Mrs. Who and Mrs. Which. Which one is always quoting people because it's too hard for her to find her own words. Mrs. Who. Mrs. Who. Okay, so Mrs. Who is Mindy Kaling's character okay. mm-hmm. in um the movie, and so she still does that. She still quotes things but in Madeline Langle's book and of course even her time period and the kind of writer that she was she was using Shakespeare yes. and um different biblical languages. passages yes. yes hymns um different languages latin yes. things like that so Mindy Kaling is quoting more Rumi and maybe Shakespeare and maybe pop music yes. um so it's that sort of same sort of idea that's still who she is and what she does but it's not directly from the book yes Yes, the idea is still there. The idea is still there, yes. So it really does – and for me, it was not hard for me to separate the stars that I'm seeing on the screen, even though it made me smile, from the characters they play. So hopefully – like I didn't watch Oprah for years and years, so some people say it's just too too weird or like they're trying too hard to make Oprah the great wise voice in the sky – You know, but I don't know that that wasn't hard for me. I really loved the the child actors too, and Mm. again, once again, Ava DuVernay she's taking what Madeline Lingle put forth and reimagining it. You know, so this is a mixed race family, so Meg is a biracial child and all that she deals with with that. Um, It is saying yet she is a what twelve to fourteen year old. Yeah. She dresses in jeans and flannel. Mm. You know, she, she's not what Disney Channel (laughs) says 12 and 14 year olds look like. You know, she looks like a normal child. She never looks like she's wearing makeup. You know, I'm sure she was to some degree. Um, really the misses take care of that because their makeup and their costumes are amazing. Like if this film doesn't win the Oscar for costuming next year, I don't know because it's just, it's, it's fun to watch, but. She's just a normal kid. Mm-hmm. Calvin is just a normal kid. Even her little brother who is special and they do a great job of him embodying who Charles Wallace is in the book. You know, he's a kid. Yeah. So even that I feel like as a parent is wonderful to walk into. It is a movie without guile. It uh, is not cynical. Um, yes. It is pure Like a child in that sense. And I think that that is truly who Madeline Lingle was as well. You know, I read so much of her books, so many, I'm sorry, of her books last year, whether it be fiction or nonfiction. And she was someone who maintained a beautiful, innocent, childlike wonder of life. Yes, And I feel like that comes through in almost everything that she writes. Not denying the pain, not unaware of all the complications, but always returning Mm. to that. And so I think this movie... Ava DuVernay, I mean, really, I think she did a beautiful job. I do think that it's possible you could go to the movie with one set of expectations and be disappointed. Um, it's not going to be the fulfillment of everyone's dreams, I don't think. But if you can take it for its own work. Yeah. And, and, you know, be okay with the changes that they've made. Like they don't go to the Mrs. Beast. Aunt Beast isn't Right. In the I had heard that Aunt Beast isn't in there. Um, they do. At mean. one point, they're kind of retracing Meg's father's steps where they think that he had tessered. And so they show a beast planet. And so there is this okay. one moment of you're like, oh, there they are. Oh, now they're gone. It's sort of you like see, a
0: nod to the yes, text. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: Um, but so as long as you can be okay with those things yeah. that you grew to love, you know, being changed or possibly left out or possibly made into bigger, it's a it's a really beautiful story. And I think I took uh, my oldest teen daughter and my youngest uh-huh. son, who is a lot like Charles Wallace, actually, he's very precocious in the words that he uses and things like that. So I was laughing that, you know, here are my two that I took to the movie oh, with me. Oh,
0: yes. That's perfect. Yeah. I was like, That's...
1: Hmm. I'm, I'm like, I get a gold star yeah. <laughs> following the book. Uh, but my seven-year-old, he liked it. I don't know how much, even in the book, like I said, reading it as a kid, did I catch all of the big themes, the lessons that are really silently woven into the book? No. Okay. You know, I read it yeah. as, hey, in that terms, was a science fiction book.
0: In terms of like scariness factor, because I'm mm. deliberating. I, of course, want to take the girls. The twins are five. Do you mm-hmm. think it's like, too, are there are there scary moments that would be too rough for a five-year-old? Or I think it depends on the five-year-old.
1: Okay. I don't know that I would go much younger than that. Although, again, if you know your child, I think as sure. far as the intensity level goes, yeah, just like it's kind of scary. Obviously, there's no gore or direct violence or nudity, all those things. It's a PG movie, but just the intensity. I'd say if if your child, if you think they could have handled that last Star Wars movie that came out in December, mm-hmm. you know, it, it certainly isn't that bad. You know, okay. where it, you you do have some moments of. Scary things, and I think that even for a kid to have Charles Wallace be taken over by the it and to suddenly turn to be so cruel, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things in it that I think could really disturb okay. a child. Okay, um, but and there are at the very end, of course, it's very intense. Yeah. I think though that that the bigger thing might just be, and even with my seven year old now, he's kind of antsy. But he was getting a little antsy at some parts because he just okay. you can't follow what's going on because yes. it's it's dealing with these big things. You know, yeah. that we're time traveling and now we're at a planet and and now we're testering, and what just happened and now we're with a happy medium who's male and like it, mm-hmm. there's just a lot. If you know the book, you'll have no trouble following it. If your child sure. loves and knows the book, they'll have no trouble. But I think that for him, he was he followed the bigger things
0: he never had to walk out he got a little bored okay that's what i was actually wondering for the for the twins is yeah. if they would be able to piece together what to follow happening. it right it's so, i mean it's
1: a complicated yeah.
0: story it really is totally so you know yeah. maybe your kid is totally into
1: it um but i think it could be even older children if they haven't read the book might be like i don't i don't know
0: what just happened there there was a uh, lot good okay that's that's a good word that's good to know Okay, Kelly, thank you so much for taking time from spring break oh, to sit down and talk. I'm so glad we got to just chat about this. Just, yes. You know, friend of Fred, because friend I have friend. been bubbling over. And even my girls are 10 and 13, but they don't fully get, again, I think you've got to live some life to fully get some of the themes that she's really working with here, but it's still entertaining and so valuable for kids too. So thank you for taking time so we could sit down and chat. So um, if you want to find us, you know, you can find us all the time, all the time over on Facebook in our Sort of Awesome Hangout group. We're also on uh, Twitter at Sort of Awesome Pod or on Instagram at Sort of Awesome Show. Come and tell us your thoughts about A Wrinkle in Time, the novel or the film or both, we'll talk to you about any of it. Yes, we will. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues
1: to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.